Okay, so we are on lesson two of the winter quarter, 2022-2023. The title of the lesson is The Exiles Build God's Temple. Scriptures are Ezra chapters four through six. Lord, we thank you for this record of fulfilled prophecy, and we note that prophecy does get fulfilled, but the pathway is pretty rocky many times, and that's true in our lives too. So we pray that you'd help us to depend on you as we go through these rocky times and pray for understanding of this, uh, of this passage of Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we are on section A is the enemies oppose the exiles. And that is chapter 4 and verses 1 through 16. And so how about I'll start us off reading that one. Now when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the people of the exile were building a temple to the Lord God of Israel, they approached Zeribabel and the heads of fathers' households and said to them, Let us build with you, for we, like you, seek your God. And we have been sacrificing to him since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us up here. But Zeribabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of fathers' households of Israel said to them, You have nothing in common with us in building a house to our God, but we ourselves will together build to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and frightened them from building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their counsel all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. And in the days of Artaxerxes, Bishlam, Mithridath, Tabil, and the rest of his colleagues wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia, and the text of the letter was written in Aramaic and translated from Aramaic. Rehum, the commander, and Shimshai, the scribe, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to King Artaxerxes, as follows. Then wrote Rehum, the commander, and Shimshai, the scribe, and the rest of their colleagues, the judges and the lesser governors, the officials, the secretaries, the men of Eric, the Babylonians, the men of Susa, that is, the Elamites, and the rest of the nations which the great and honorable Osnapper deported and settled in the city of Samaria and in the rest of the region beyond the river. Now this is the copy of the letter which they sent to him. To King Artaxerxes, your servants, the men in the region beyond the river, and now let it be known to the king that the Jews who came up from you have come to us at Jerusalem. They are rebuilding the rebellious and evil city and are finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. Now let it be known to the king that if that city is rebuilt and the walls are finished, they will not pay tribute, custom, or toll, and it will damage the revenue of the kings. Now because we are in the service of the palace and it is not fitting for us to see the king's dishonor, therefore we have sent and informed the king, so that a search may be made in the record books of your fathers, and you will discover in the record books and learn that that city is a rebellious city, and damaging to kings and provinces, 
and that they have incited revolt within it in past days, therefore that city was laid waste. We inform the king that if that city is rebuilt and the walls finished, as a result you will have no possession in the province beyond the river. So what's going on here? Slander and bureaucratic, yeah, bureaucratic roadblocks. Very diplomatic, yes. So back to um, verses 1 and 2, you know, it says, Now the enemies of the Jews heard that the people were building. They approached Zerubbabel and said, Let us build with you, for we like you seek your God. Now that sounds friendly, doesn't it? So they sound friendly. What are they referring to as Esarhaddon? It says here, We've been sacrificing to him since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us up here. Yeah, they had, this is now in, you know, the 530s, the 520s B.C. Back in 722 B.C., the Assyrians had gone into the northern kingdom, Israel, and deported them all. Um, what happened was they, uh, well, here, let me read it to you. This is in Second Kings 17 and verse 24, uh, this history. Second Kings 17, verse 24, it says, The king of Assyria brought men from Babylon and from Kutha and from Ava and from Hamath and Sepharvaim and settled them in the cities of Samaria in place of the sons of Israel. So they possessed Samaria and lived in its cities. So these people are descendants of these. These became the Samaritans. That's why the Jews hated the Samaritans, because the Samaritans were half-breeds. They were Israelites who were intermarried with these uh, foreigners that were brought in by Assyria after the Assyrian conquest. Then in uh, 2 Kings 17, verses 28, it says, So one of the priests, so what happened was they conquered the northern kingdom, Assyria did. They brought in, and they deported many of them, most of them, of the Israelites, and they brought in people from all around their conquered nations, and the lions were killing people in uh, the northern uh, kingdom. And it says, uh, says, so they spoke to the king of Assyria, saying, the nations whom you have carried away into exile in the cities of Samaria do not know the custom of the God of the land. So he has sent lions among them, and behold, they kill them because they do not know the custom of the God of the land. So one of the priests whom they had carried away into exile from Samaria came and lived at Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. But every nation still made gods of its own and put them in the houses of the high places which the people of Samaria had made, every nation in their cities in which they lived. So the men of Babylon made Succoth Benoth, the men of Cuth made Mergal, the men of Hamath made Ashima, 
The Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak, and the Sepharvites burned their children in the fire to Adremelech and Anemelech, the gods of Sepharvaim. They also feared the Lord and appointed from among themselves priests of the high places who acted for them in the houses of the high places. They feared the Lord and served their own gods, according to the custom of the nations from among whom they had been carried away into exile. So what happened was they got, they had what is called syncretistic worship. They mixed it all together. That's right. They worshiped the true God, and they worshiped all the other gods that they had brought with them from the other countries. Now, you know that license plate that shows up all over the place? that says coexist, that is syncretism. That is what that is, because everything is mixed in together, and it's all okay, right? That is new... No, God does not think it's all okay. That is New Age theology. New Age theology, syncretism. The Roman Catholics are involved in syncretism as well. You know, they took Christianity, and they imported some pagan ideas into it way back when. And many of them are still there. It's syncretism. The Lord despises syncretism. But, it may, it, you know, it sounds very good. But we do not worship other gods along with the Lord. You know, that's when you try to um, evangelize a Hindu they will be very receptive to worshiping Jesus. But Hinduism has 10,000 gods or something. And they just add Jesus to that mix. And so that really doesn't work. It really doesn't help much. So, um, right, Jesus is very specific. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So in verse 3, says, But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the fathers' households of Israel said to them, You have nothing in common with us in building a house to our God, but we ourselves will together build to the Lord God of Israel. As King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. So they did not fall for this. This is the principle of separation that they were adhering to here. Now, do we in the church have this principle of separation? Okay, okay. Yeah, I would say we do have a principle of separation. Um, it's a line that we walk. We walk a line. So in 2 Corinthians, this is to the, written to the church itself, us, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17. Paul, speaking to the church in Corinth, says, Therefore come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. So he's writing this to the church in Corinth. Come out from the unbelieving world and be separate. 
So we are to do that. And then going back in that same chapter, 2 Corinthians 14 through 16, it says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness, or what harmony has Christ with Belial, or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever, or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And then he goes on to say, therefore come out from their midst. So now we have this scripture. We are to be separate from the unbelieving world. And then we have a counterbalancing teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is why I say we walk a line. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9. Paul again to the same church in a different letter says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Okay, that's the principle of separation, right? I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world. or with the covetous and swindlers, or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother, if he is an immoral person, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So we have two teachings here. And, and how do we reconcile them? So he says, you can't come out of the world. Why? Because we are to present the gospel to the unbelieving world. That is our calling. We are ambassadors from heaven for Christ. But what you do not want to do is be in intimate relationship with him, with the unbelieving. Okay? So... Um, in close relationships, we want to be separate. But we want to be close enough to be a witness to the law. So we can be friends with them. Um, you know, so like intermingling your funds with them. No, I wouldn't do that. So I wouldn't go into, I don't think you should probably go into business with them. Um, you should not marry an unbeliever, for sure. Uh, that is broken routinely in the church today, that that teaching. But we want to uh, be separate, that we can have a platform, and we want to be uh, friendly to the unbelieving world because we want them to become believing. We want them to become what, what we are also. Because remember where they're going. They're headed to the lake of fire if they don't come to their senses. And we don't want that for anyone. So, and the Jews also were given the, a principle of separation, and they, they, you know, before the exile to Babylon, they did not practice that. And that's how they absorbed all of the... Good morning, sir. That's how they absorbed all of these idolatrous ideas and practices and uh, 
what the exile did do was cure them of idolatry. They did not, they were not idolatrous anymore. And um, they had other issues, but idolatry was not one. The Lord cured them of that through the Babylonian captivity. So we do have the same principle of separation. Um, and But we always want to uh, be friendly enough to hold out the gospel to the unbelieving. So verse 4, you can see from verse 4 that they were not um, honest when they came to them, saying, oh, we serve your God, we want to help you. Because as soon as they were turned down, then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and frightened them from building. So again, here, the people of Judah, their, their faith is still relatively weak. Why? Because they're frightened. A person with a strong faith does not frighten. You know, in, the, in Revelation, there's a list of people in the lake of fire, a list of their sins. And the first one, let me see if I can find it. Ah, yeah, it's Revelation 21, verse 8. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The first, that, that's a long list of badness, but the first thing on the list is the cowardly, the fearful. A believer should not be fearful. We have nothing to fear. The Lord will take care of it, whatever it is. And uh, he tells us again and again, do not be fearful. But these uh, exiles who are coming back uh, were frightened by this uh, malicious attack against them. And their enemies also hired counselors, lawyers. Satan loves lawyers. <laughs> lawyers are used by Satan a lot. And in our day, too. And uh, being a physician, I know about that. But um, so anyway, I, I wanted to give a list of the Persian kings for you because um, some there's the chronology is a little out of order here. So the first king, the king who gave the decree was Cyrus, King Cyrus. He reigned from 539 to 529 B.C., okay, 11 years. The second one's name was Cambyses. He is not recorded in Scripture anywhere. And he reigned from 529 to 522 B.C., eight years. Then there's the third is Darius I from 521 to 486 B.C., so he reigned for quite a while. The next was Xerxes, or Ahasuerus, and we read about him in the book of Esther. He was the queen. Esther was his queen, Ahasuerus. He reigned from 485 to 465 B.C., and last, the fifth, is Artaxerxes the first. 464 to 424 B.C. So we'll see here that um, 
when these uh, exiles are building this, it is Cyrus who sent them, and they started. They built the altar there, and they started the the work on the temple. And then, you know, I guess it was under Cambyses that they were stopped, or they were. They started hiring counselors and things like this during that time until the reign of Darius, king of Persia, who was the third in line. And uh, so the letter that was included in this passage, um, it says in verse, starting in verse 8, Rehim the commander and Shimshai the scribe wrote a letter against Jerusalem to King Artaxerxes. So that's later. King Artaxerxes didn't reign until he was the fifth king. He didn't reign until 485 B.C. The temple was completed in 515 B.C. So this letter is just an example of the bureaucratic obstacles that the Jews had to put up with, had to fight against, you know. So if the Lord wants you to do something, is it always a smooth road? Yes or no? The Lord asks you to do something, some project. Is it going to be a smooth road? Almost never. <laughs> there is an adversary. That is right. There is an adversary who will not be locked up until the end of the tribulation period. And he's out and his little minions are out constantly hindering, constantly attacking, constantly, you know. Will the Lord get his way? Yes, absolutely. But um, that is why bureaucracy was invented. No, I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> but, you know, and lawyers. Bureaucracy and lawyers. So there were multiple attempts to harass the Jews by appealing to the Persian kings. And then verses 11 and 12, it says, This is the copy of the letter which they sent to him, to King Artaxerxes, your servants, the men in the region beyond the river. And now let it be known to you, known to the king, that the Jews who came up from you have come to us at Jerusalem. The Jews they're speaking of there in that letter is Ezra, who brought the second wave after the temple had already been built. And they had started to build the city at that time. Who came up from you to us at Jerusalem. They are rebuilding the rebellious and evil city and are finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. So that work was stopped, as we will see. And uh, that's why it, then it took Nehemiah to get it going again. But the temple's already been built. Okay, that's the end of that section. Anything else about that? You know, if the Lord wants you to do something and you're running into problems, you probably shouldn't quit because that's how it works. There's always going to be obstacles. There's always going to be difficulties. You should go to the Lord and pray and seek his help. And he show you know, have him to thread the needle for you. You know, he uses it to train us, really, the, to walk by faith. Okay, section B, the opposition halts the rebuilding. 
Somebody want that's uh, verses 17 through 24 of chapter 4. Somebody want to read that section? Okay, thank you, ma'am. So, yeah, the chronological narrative stops in chapter 4 and verse 5. That is related to Zeri Babel and the first wave of people. And it picks up again after this letter. So this letter of complaint, it's kind of an interchange with the later king, King Artaxerxes, after the temple had been built in 515, uh, as an example of the what they had to deal with constantly. Now in this uh, in this passage, it says in the letter of complaint that there have been rebellions against the Assyrian and Babylonian kings in the past. That's verse 15. So that a search may be made in the record books of your fathers, and you will discover in the record books and learn that that city is a rebellious city and damaging to kings and provinces, and that they have incited revolt within it in past days. Therefore, that city was laid waste. So is that true? Did Israel rebel? Yes, that is true. There, I, I found three examples of that. One was a rebellion in faith, and two were rebellions in the flesh. So the first was a rebellion in faith. This is Second Kings chapter 18, verse 7, and this is concerning King Hezekiah. It says concerning King Hezekiah, and the Lord is with him. Wherever he went, he prospered, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. So Hezekiah rebelled against the king of Assyria. You know, if you are a nation whose God is the Lord, you don't need any other nations, right? Because one person and God is a majority. That cannot be, and Hezekiah understood this. And actually, the Lord defended Hezekiah. Jerusalem was under siege, if you remember. And Hezekiah went to Isaiah and prayed. And the Lord sent an angel, and they had 185,000 soldiers outside the gate, and the angel killed them overnight. So Hezekiah rebelled in faith. Then... 2 Kings 24 and verse 1, this is about Jehoiakim. Everybody remember Jehoiakim? He was a faithless king. He was the king who he got Jeremiah's scroll and he sat down in front of the fire and they read the scroll to him and he cut it up and burned it. So in his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. Jehoiakim was taken to Babylon and executed. So that was a rebellion out of the flesh. You know, he just didn't want it to do it. He thought he could get away with it. The Lord didn't tell him to do it. At the time, the Lord was... so. Jehoiakim was one, and the next one was 2 Kings 24, verse 20. 
For through the anger of the Lord this came about in Jerusalem and Judah until he cast them out from his presence, and Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. So both Jehoiakim and Zedekiah were hearing from Jeremiah that they should surrender to the king of Babylon. And, and that was the word of the Lord. And so they rebelled against the, the word of the Lord. And so rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, whom the Lord said to allow him to rule over you. And Zedekiah was taken. His eyes were put out. His children, before that, his children were killed before him. His eyes were put out, and he was taken to Babylon. So, yes, Israel and Judah had a history of rebellion against these foreign powers. So that was true. And they did have mighty kings. It said in that letter that they had mighty kings over them. Those mighty kings were, of course, David and Solomon, right? And during, during Solomon's reign, he, you know, all the nations up to the Euphrates River were vassal states of Israel. And so he was a mighty king. And then Artaxerxes' response is interesting. In verses 19 through 21, so this is Artaxerxes, remember. It is not related to the building of the temple, but to the building of the city. It says, a decree has been issued by me, and a search has been made, and it has been discovered that that city has risen up against the kings in past days, that rebellion and revolt have been perpetrated in it, and that mighty kings have ruled over Jerusalem concerning all the provinces beyond the river, and that tribute, custom, and toll were paid to them. So what he's thinking about is the money, right? The money. Taxes. So now issue a decree to make these men stop work, that this city may not be rebuilt until a decree is issued by me. So he left open, you know, I'm, I may change my mind here. Stop until a decree is issued by me. That did occur in 444 BC. That is when Artaxerxes told Nehemiah to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, the quarterly, and I think this is a reasonable assumption, it's not written in the scriptures, but the quarterly surmises that it says when they got this reply letter from the king of Persia, that Rehum, the commander in Shimshai the scribe, and these were the leaders in Samaria, went and stopped them with force of arms. You know, they think they probably tore down whatever part of the wall that they had built, they tore it down. Because um, the temple had already been built, and that would explain Nehemiah's response to that news, which will, in the next book we study, we'll see at the beginning of Nehemiah, he heard that the walls of Jerusalem were torn down in shambles, and it made him cry and fast and pray to hear about that. So they think that I think that's reasonable. That these people, obviously, they did not want this going on. They came and stopped them by force of arms. So they brought army people with them to do it. 
And they probably left the temple alone, but tore down everything else, tore down the walls. Which is another thing. Sometimes when you're doing the work of the Lord, you will sustain some setbacks. Right? So this, this you know, indirectly applies to us very, very much, you know. When we're trying to do what the Lord asks us to, sometimes we sustain some setbacks. So in verse 24, the work in the temple stops. So, so then it goes back to the house of God in Jerusalem. So that is where the chronological narrative picks up from verse 5. Verse 5, it's talking about the first wave building the temple. Then it goes into this passage that is from a later date about the town itself. Then it says, then the work on the house of Jerusalem ceased, the house of God. And it was stopped until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Remember, Artaxerxes is the fifth king. Darius is the third king in the line. But the Jews got discouraged by all this bureaucratic stuff going on, threats, and they quit. They just stopped and, and didn't, you know. They stopped building the temple, actually. And then the Lord raised up a couple of prophets when they stopped building the temple. One was Haggai. One was Zechariah. So Haggai was prophesying about the... There, there were two types of resistance to the building of the temple. One was what we're reading about here. Ezra concentrates on this, which is external from enemies outside and things like that. Haggai talks about internal resistance. Sin. Sin in the people. And that's, and what the sin was, was materialism. Do we have that sin in our day? Yeah, we do. That's the American dream, right? Pretty much. So Haggai chapter 1 and verse 5 says this, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little you eat. But there is not enough to be satisfied to drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. So the Lord is frustrating their prosperity. Why was he doing that? Verse 4, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? So they're paying more attention to their own comfort, their own housing, than they were to the house of God. They came to rebuild the temple, but they were satisfied with their own houses because there, there was so much trouble building the temple. So the question is, related to us, how about us? Where do the Lord's desires come in our priorities? Are they first, or are they after all our own stuff is done? You know? That's what is happening to the Jews here. You know, they were, they were getting comfortable. They were getting their houses remodeled and things like that. But the temple was still unbuilt. And and what is the American dream, really? If you had to describe the American dream, what, how would you describe the American dream? Yeah. Material prosperity. Yeah. In America, 
We don't have a class system, really. And so you can move between classes based on your work ethic, and you can go into a higher economic class by work. That's the American dream. Okay, now does that have anything to do with God? No. <laughs> it does not have anything to do with the Lord. Um, so the American dream is a secular dream. It is a secular American dream. So would God approve of that? I don't think so. Will the Lord bless you if you put him first? Yes, he will. He will. But if you put this, the so-called American dream, above his desires, that is a uh, recipe for emptiness and despair. It is a trick. Yeah, it's emptiness and despair. So now the quarterly does not cover chapters 5, 1 through 6, 12. So I will summarize that. Uh, this covers a, another letter written to Darius I, who is the third king in this line. And Tatanai was the leader of the whole Transjordan region. The letter that we read were from the, the rulers in Samaria itself. So they were kind of, Tatanai was over them. And he was wanting to confirm that Cyrus had given this decree to rebuild the temple. So Darius looked, and in the records it was found in Ekbatana, which was not the capital. Apparently this was a summer house for Cyrus, that this letter decree was confirmed. And Darius said something very interesting about this. He said that, so yes, it was confirmed, so let them do it. And he said, stay away from them. He said, support them with your tax revenues. He says, if anyone tries to stop them from doing this, their house will be torn down and a piece of, they will be impaled on one of the timbers of their house. Yeah, so uh, Darius, I'm sure Tat and I was not happy when he got that letter back. That was not the answer he wanted. So the Lord came through again. So then we're now to section C, the temple is completed. And that's chapter 6. Verses 13 through 22. Help me read that. I'll read that, that part. Then Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, Sethar Bozani and their colleagues carried out the decree with all diligence, just as King Darius had sent. So they knew he was serious. They carried it out with all diligence. And the elders of the Jew were successful in building through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. And they finished building according to the command of the God of Israel and the decree of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. This temple was completed on the third day of the month Adar. It was the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. That was 515 B.C. And the sons of Israel 
The priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered for the dedication of this temple of God 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, corresponding to the number of the tribes of Israel. Then they appointed the priests to their divisions and the Levites in their orders for the service of God in Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. The exiles observed the Passover on the 14th of the first month. For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were pure. Then they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the exiles, both for their brothers the priests and for themselves. The sons of Israel who returned from exile and all those who had separated themselves from the impurity of the nations of the land to join them. There's that principle again, separation. To seek the Lord God of Israel ate the Passover, and they observed the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord had caused them to rejoice and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to encourage them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. So the temple project was not only confirmed that a decree had been made by Cyrus, but Tatanai was to support it from his tax revenue. And he did comply with that. Yeah, as, as an, an aside, we'll get to this later, but there was a letter in the part related to Ezra where it says that the temple of God will not be taxed. By the uh, by, any of the governing authorities will not be taxed, and our founding fathers knew the Bible, and they knew this book Ezra, and that is why they made churches tax-free at the beginning of our country. For that reason, so um, now people are making noise about taking that away. Of course, it has been. 200, almost 250 years. But that's just because the nation has become secular. And they don't, uh, they probably don't know where that came from or don't care. So look in verse 14, it tells who oversaw this project. The elders of the Jews, they were successful in building through the prophesying of Haggai and Zechariah and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia, and over the whole thing according to the command of the God of Israel. So the Lord gets his way. He will always get his way. And what's amazing is that he uses the free choice of his people to do it. He knows our choices. He, and he <laughs> arranges it so that while he allows us to have our choice, which is our right as image bearers of God, that is part of our image bearing status. We have volition. We have free choice. We have choice. So he allows that, and yet he always gets his way. He is sovereign. So he oversaw that, but he allowed these people to be used by him to accomplish building the temple. And that's what we can do. We can be used by the Lord to accomplish his purposes, and we'll get that honor that comes from being used by him.
So the elders of the Jews were used, Haggai and Zechariah, because they encouraged them once they had lost steam, and also pagan kings, Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, were all used to do this project. You know, and that should be our life goal, really, once we're saved, is to be used by God. That's what it says in Romans 12, verse 1, which is a verse we go to often. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, since he has saved you, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So our worship is to allow the Lord to use us for his purposes. So verse 15, the temple was completed in Adar, which is around the February-March period of 515 B.C. That was 21 years after the work was started in 536 B.C. and four and a half years after Haggai began to prophesy. So they needed a little boost from both Haggai and Zechariah. Haggai and Zechariah began to prophesy within months of each other. The Lord raised up the two. And it's interesting. Haggai told them why they were not prospering. It was because they were not building the temple. Zechariah gave them a vision of the future of the Messianic reign. So anyway, we're still looking forward to that. You know, that's hope. The Messianic reign is hope, and we have that hope too. So anyway, the, the, uh, this is about 70 and a half years after the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem on August 12th, 586 B.C. And then verse 21, the sons of Israel who returned from exile and all those who had separated themselves from the impurity of the nations of the land to join them. So these are the people who had remained. You know, there's a few who had remained after the captivity, and they left them as vine dressers, the poor people, and they had started to absorb again the pagan practices. So they separated themselves from these things to worship God again. So that's what we want to do. We want to maintain our separation from the evil philosophies of the world in which we live. We should be a peculiar people amongst the everybody else while we offer the word of life to them. So Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you for the temple that was completed, the one that the Messiah came to. We pray that you would help us have our priorities straight also. In Jesus' name, amen.